Welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter 19 of Northern Lights, Captivity. Okay, how are you? I think I'm good. Yeah? It's, it feels like it's been a really long time since I've seen you. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Did we record last... We did record last week, right? And I feel like we did it on like a Thursday or something, so it's not even been that long. <laughs> I just miss you. Oh, I miss you too. And also time has like no meaning whatsoever at all. No. I've been an absolute slug this week. I feel like I've done nothing. I've achieved nothing. But then also I've been doing things. Everything's I, like my life feels like a sieve. Like I'm doing stuff mm. and I'm trying to do things and like we have have like done like nice things and it's like I forget it all so quickly. <laughs> Same. Like when we do this now, if you think about before lockdown and we'd record an episode and we'd be like, what have you done this week? And we'd be like, oh, I did this, I did that. Or like I had a bad day at work or I had a good day at work, blah, blah, blah. Now when we sit down to talk about it, I'm like, I cannot for the life of me remember what I've done in the last week. I can't oh, tell okay. you. Like I don't even know. I can't tell you one thing that I did. I'm literally trying <laughs> <laughs> the blankest face in the world is my face yeah i don't know i don't know what i've done nothing apparently i made a steak and ale pie on oh, the dream saturday for the house we're trying to do like trading dinners so like i cooked for everyone and then like another weekend someone else will cook for everyone do the whole oh, house and nice. stuff and yeah i did like a steak and ale pie with roast potatoes and it was really good that sounds really good yeah so there's a lot of pubs and stuff and like cafes and whatnot around Peckham that are like reopening for takeout or delivery or like deli kind of stuff. And I really want to like support local businesses at the minute. So there's a pub called the Victoria Inn in Peckham, which we have been to many times before. I think we went there for my birthday. Yeah. Last year? Year before? Who knows? Uh, and they're doing like a walkthrough kind of deli servicing and they've got loads of like food. They, they're doing like takeaway and stuff. And I got like a nice bottle of wine and Liam got some ciders and some beer. So that was nice. I can't think of what else I've done, but I am reading a good book. I'm reading Tegan and Sarah's book. It's called High School. Oh, nice. It's so, so good. It just reminds me of being a little queer person and growing up in like all my teenage years and stuff. It's really good. It probably reminds me of myself and I'm like, oh, remember, remember those days when it was so difficult and you didn't know who you were and you were trying out all these new things and you're like, oh. And it's just amusing how they just picked up guitars and could immediately play them. I was like, they didn't even have lessons. I was like, cool. <laughs> I tried to learn how to play bass when I was like 15, 16. And I think literally the only reason I did it was because I just liked the idea of yeah. it being someone that could play the bass. I was like, that sounds really cool. And then I just was really, really rubbish at it. It was really hard. My hands are too small and too delicate to press the strings down because basses have big strings. <laughs> yeah, I, I did the same with guitar. I learned it for a bit. And I can still play random chords here and there, but I can't put like a song together anymore. I think I wanted to play it more so that I would look cool and be the person that I thought I wanted to be rather than actually wanting to play the guitar. I wanted to be 
the kind of girl that actually is totally just the kind of girl that I fancied. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that am I trying to be this person or do I just fancy this kind of person? It was definitely that. Yeah, I love music. I love it so much. I am just not a musical person. I think that when you love something so much, but you're not that, it's really hard. Yeah. So I think I just wanted to be musical. I learned how to play the flute as a child. Oh, flute. Amazing. <laughs> I got to like grade three. I didn't do very well. <laughs> um, but again, it was one of those things where it's like, it's just because I desperately wanted to play music and be musical, but I'm, I'm just not a very musical person. <laughs> I'm the same. I kind of carved out a way for myself to still be involved in music, but I worked in the music industry there. I was like, I'm not giving up. I will be in music some some way or shape or form. Yeah, my partner's doing a lot of music stuff at the moment mm-hmm. and like mixing his own music. And hopefully that means for season two of the podcast, we might get like a slightly updated version of the theme tune with oh more God. fancy tricks in it because he's learning all the fancy like podcast podcast tricks. No, all the fancy music tricks. We just want them to be podcast tricks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes they apply to podcast stuff and he teaches me how to do it. And sometimes he tries to tell me why it would be useful for podcast stuff and I physically can't intake the information because it's <laughs> too alien to me. And yeah. I just kind of go, hey, if it's worth it, it would sound easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get that. I'm the same. If somebody just tells me all the information, I'm like, I, I can't, I don't know what to do with this. You have to show me in a visual way or I won't understand. Also, it's your birthday. Yeah. Yay. We're recording this two days before my birthday and releasing it three days after. Woo! <laughs> I will, when this episode comes out, not be lying when I say I'm 27. Yay! Like last time when you're a big liar. <laughs> I just don't know how old I am. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> but yeah, say happy birthday to Rich, if you, if you so wish. Uh, when you hear this, she will be 27. And what a great age to be. I can't remember. What, I was 27 last year. I could barely remember it, Rich. Just because I've got terrible memory. <laughs> what did I do? Age 27. Started a podcast. There you go. Yeah. Well, I beat you to that because I started a podcast <laughs> at age 26. <laughs> I started a podcast literally, if you remember, our first episode came out two weeks before my 28th birthday, I think. And we just chatted about your birthday for ages on we the did. podcast. <laughs> we did. I was re-listening to the first episode of the TV show that we did because of our interview with Daphne Keane. And we were talking about my birthday and I was like, oh, I remember those times it was my birthday and we had drinks and stuff. It did make me realise how far we've come as a podcast because when I was listening to that episode, and like, it's a good episode, we say some good stuff, but the amount of like, ums and stuff we leave in, like really clean, like on their own, pauses and ums, I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? (laughs) Take those out! We didn't know. I know, I'm being harsh on us. I was talking to Johnny and he was like, you want to learn to leave them in because the more you leave them in the podcast, the more you'll edit them out of your normal speaking. Because what if you sound really slick on the podcast and someone meets you in real life and you just can't <laughs> talk properly? <laughs> I was like, no, I refuse. What if I shatter the illusion that I can form a coherent sentence when I meet people in person? <laughs> I was thinking as well, if we ever did anything live, I would be shit i'd be such a disappointment <laughs> right because the amount of times i'm like can we stop or like oh i need a wee just like tripping over my words or fucking doing something stupid i don't think i could do it you know we're gonna have to cut all of this out because we're pretending that we're perfect <laughs> <laughs> this is all gonna go on a blooper reel <laughs> no one could know that we fuck everything up <laughs> they can't know they just can't Hey, Faye. Hey. What would your demon have been this week? Uh, what a great question. 
I can't remember. <laughs> it's a great answer. I did write Brilliant. something down. I wrote something down. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So, uh, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. My demon this week. So, because we've talked about this on podcast before, my flat is fucking hot and it's really hot in the UK at the minute. So, my flat is like a fucking greenhouse. I feel like my demon this week. I'd want it to kind of help me out with that. Maybe it could absorb some of the heat from me, potentially. So I thought I would go with a gecko. I fucking love geckos. And I love lizards and anything like that. So I was like, I want to go for a little gecko. And also it says that they're quite nervous, anxious animals. And I was like, great. Is it a gecko where if you scare them, they can drop their whole tail off and regrow it? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it is them. Oh, And they're really cute, so... And obviously, I'm cute, hot, and anxious. <laughs> I didn't want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> cute, hot, and anxious. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> what would your demon have been, Rich? My demon, I also did like a cursory internet search because I wasn't sure. I literally googled top 10 grumpiest animals because I've been really, Aww. I've been really grumpy this week. I've probably been quite hard to live with. I don't know why. <laughs> Part of me was like, oh, maybe my demon should be an animal that would like cheer me up when I'm feeling grumpy. But that's not what I want when I'm grumpy. What I want is like grumpy solidarity. So my demon is a wild boar because they are exceedingly dangerous. They will attack for no reason. A brilliant website was like, while our habit of eating pigs causes us to think of them as prey animals, the wild boar is actually a hunter in its own right and may even bring down deer. They are just really grumpy, territorial little shits and that's how I felt I've been like get out of my space I hate everybody I literally don't know why but I've just been I it's probably my period let's face it <laughs> mm. but I yeah, just do it. want like a prickly grumpy little wild boar to like trot around and like bump into people that annoy me and like, knock things over when I feel like I want to like be mad I love that I also love what you said about when you're grumpy and you just want somebody to be grumpy with you and not try and fix things and be really happy. It really annoys me when people are like, cheer up, it, uh, and they try and cheer me up. I'm like, no, can you just like accept how grumpy I am and just be like, oh, that's really sucks. I'm so sorry you're feeling shit. Sometimes I realise it's probably not the most healthy thing. That Sometimes I wish you could just like be like, okay, no holds barred and also no offence taken later. Just have an argument with me. I just really want to have an argument yeah. where like nobody actually says anything hurtful to anybody and nobody takes offence at anything, and nothing bad happens at the end of it. I just want to be mad and have an angry conversation, but where it doesn't impact my life. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just need to scream at someone, and you need someone to scream at you, and you just need that energy. Yeah. It kind of gets <laughs> a lot of the bad feels out there. Love a good argument. This is the time in the intro that we usually mention that our Discord channel is going swimmingly. Everyone on there is lovely, Yay. and if you wish to join the conversation on Discord, and also get lots of other exciting rewards and stuff, uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. Yes, yes. I remembered the URL because I never say it usually. <laughs> we haven't spoken about what people can get on Patreon for a while anyway. Depending on what level you are, you get all the episode art that you'll have seen that Rach does that we post on socials and there's a nice blooper video in there and I'm working on a blooper reel and if you pledge at the highest level Rach will draw you with your demon which we did for our lovely listener footprints a couple of months ago 
Well, oh, you can get added to our Instagram at Close Friends. Which we will get better at posting on. <laughs> yeah, we posted more on when we actually spent time together. That's true. <laughs> but we'll, we're we'll, never we'll, in the we'll same room anymore. Promise. Also, we're planning on doing some nice, exciting bonus videos and little mini episodes to pop on Patreon. They're on the list. They're on the to-do list. Yes, they are. Yes. So yeah, come and join us if you have the means. We would love to see you, especially in Discord chat, because I'm bloody loving it in there. Yeah, it's great. Last chapter, the gang journeyed on in Lee's balloon. Lee and Lyra had conversations with Seraphina Pekala, and we learned more about Lyra's destiny. The balloon was attacked by cliff gas, and Lyra was thrown out into the snow. She was captured by armoured bears. In this chapter, Lyra is taken prisoner by the armoured bears. She meets another prisoner that she flatters into telling her more information about the bears. She remembers that Yerfa Ragnarsson wants a demon and convinces him that she is Yorick's. She tells him that she actually wants to be his demon and he'll need to fight Yorick to the death to make it happen. We pick up where we left off again. The bears take Lyra over the rocks to a big... I'm going to call it a castle. I don't think they refer to it as a castle. They might say palace at some point, but I'm going with castle. And it's made of stone and as tall as the highest part of Jordan College. And it's basically covered in loads of shit and birds. Yeah. Bird shit. Birds shit and bird shit. Yeah, the bear that's taking her up to the palace explains that there's all these like murals and carvings on the side of it that are of these bears having like great victories over like different people. And also like diplomats bringing presents to the bears and all of these motifs and stuff but lyra has to have it described to her because it's so covered in bird shit that she just can't actually see it and then also it's really foggy so yeah (laughs) the entirety of this palace castle whatever just grosses me out so much like when they're talking about later in the chapter where it's just like a carpet just like trodden with shit and it stinks i'm like (laughs) oh god no (laughs) Yeah. They lead her inside. More bears in armour keep challenging them and asking them for passwords and shit, so it's pretty secure in there. Their armour was polished, and they all wore plumes in their helmets. And I can't remember what a plume is. Is it just like a big feather? Yeah, it's like the fancy feathery bit that comes out the top. The description of how dirty it is is great, and also the fact that like the bears don't seem to notice, because I think it is a fact that you do not notice your own mess. Other people's mess annoys you but you do not notice your own because like some like and occasionally you'll like step out of your own body and check yourself and be like oh my god what have I been doing (laughs) if anyone else like me for the past entirety of lockdown because nobody else has been visiting your house is just like living that little bit messier than usual isn't it just fucking annoying how relentless cleaning is right now because you're in your house or your flat or wherever you're living all the time so you constantly like you'll clean up and then like 10 minutes later it'll be fucking messy again yeah because you're never out of the house for that long and i'm just like oh my god i'm so sick of fucking cleaning up my own shit (laughs) why do i have to clean up after myself life is so hard (laughs) right i remember the beginning of lockdown my mum and dad were like why don't you come back up north and stay with us and i was like no thank you mum and dad and now i'm like i wouldn't have to clean if i was back up north with my mum and dad (laughs) Lyra is comparing every bear to Yorick and she thinks, so far anyway, that he's more powerful and graceful than all of them. Yes. As they move through the castle, it gets hotter and it stinks, like we just said. Rancid seal fat, dung and blood. Lovely. So good. I 
kind of love the descriptions as we go through of like everything being so disgusting. It's just, yeah, it's great. I also love that they didn't opt for making it too gross in the TV show. It definitely looked a lot cleaner than it does in my imagination, but also I just, it's pretty grim. But they're bears. But then because, like, you can see, well, we'll see this later in the chapter, but we know that Yurfa wants to be human, and there's bits in the palace with, like, we mentioned the dirty-ass carpet and the chandelier and stuff. I would assume that they've been put in because Yurfa wants to be a human. Yeah, but then because they're bears, they're like, don't actually give a shit about looking after it. Or understand, not necessarily understand how to. They might know how to keep it nice, but they don't want to necessarily. Yeah. That should be their next step to human den. Like fucking cleaning up after yourself. But then also like, why should they? Like, let a bear be a bear. You're just using that as an excuse for yourself not to clean. (laughs) Yes. Fuck the bear B&B rating. (laughs) I just want to live my life. That's what they're all saying. Oh, God. They get to a heavy door and one of the bears just knocks Lyra inside with his head. Just fucking boots are in there. Yeah, brilliant. I was wondering, because it says that it's so dark and there's bl- there's lamps with, like, blubber. There's, like, it's not easy to see between the lamps because it gets so dark between them. But I wonder if maybe that's why it's so stinky. Like, either bears have better eyesight than she does, so they don't need as much light, they don't need it to be as well lit, or... The stinky smells are helping them to navigate around because their sense of smell is so good and they don't need to see as much to see what's going on because all the different smells that are occurring help them navigate. Yeah, maybe. My theories as to why it's stinky. <laughs> so I had a real question here and I said, where are the lady bears? So in this first bit, they don't gender the bears no. that she's with. But then a little bit later on, they do gender one of the bears that she speaks to that isn't Yurfa. So I was wondering, do we think that it is a bear society with male and female bears? Or do we think it's ruled by men? What What are our thoughts here? I don't know. I've kind of been not gendering the bears at all in my head, unless it says. There's the occasional bear, I guess, when we get to when they're actually in the court of Yoffa Ragnarsson, there's more like body adornments that kind of imply a gender presentation for the different bears mm. that are wearing them. But then also, not necessarily. I would like to think in bear society, it doesn't actually matter until it comes, like a bear is a bear is a bear and they're all living their bear lives. And it kind of doesn't really matter until it comes to like romance. <laughs> yeah, it made me think because there's a bit later in the chapter where it says something about bears being left-handed or left-pawed or, or whatever. Like and all I the Googled best people. It. <laughs> says the left-handed podcaster. Oh my. <laughs> and I Googled it and... It's a myth, but about polar bears. But it is a thing. Like people did think that about polar bears, Aww. but it doesn't seem to be true. So then this makes me think if Philip Pullman is pulling from actual knowledge, I mean mythological knowledge about polar bears, would he pull in like how do polar bears work with gender? It is mentioned when we get later in the chapter about how Joffa Ragnarsson killed his father because he didn't know who his father was because he was raised by his mother. So there's an implication that the genders do of bears do separate during the child-rearing process and stuff, but I'm interested mm. to see how that works as an interlocking society, because it works very well yeah. if you're a solitary bear living out on the ice, living your bear life, which I think is maybe what a lot of the armoured bears were doing before they built the palace and before Joffa Ratnus had imposed quite a lot of more like courtly order to things i don't know how that then how that dynamic of the mother bear raising the curb and the father bear disappearing off 
how that works if everyone's living in a castle together. Yeah, I'm looking into polar bears and the breeding behaviour of polar bears. With, so it says, with, a, with the exception of family groups, most polar bears on the sea ice are solitary. Travelling extensively over home ranges and may vary in size from a few thousand to hundreds of thousands of square kilometres. So it sounds like, yeah, they're pretty solitary animals, uh, unless they're families. So yeah, it doesn't seem like Phil has drawn from that. Uh, apart from what you said about Yoffa not knowing his dad and stuff. Yeah. And also Yorick being quite solitary. I know he's exiled, but he still hasn't he hasn't sought the company of anyone else really while he's been exiled, apart from now that he's with Lyra and everyone. True. Because also these aren't just bears. These are armoured bears. These are Panzerbjörner. They're like a whole different thing. So the way that their society structure works might be stemming from a lot of like classic polar bear behaviour, but not necessarily. Lyra gets thrown into a cell and it's so dark that Pan has to become a little firefly to shed a tiny glow around them. I guess your eyes adjust to whatever light source there is. And that, you know, is the equivalent of lighting a very small match. But I can't imagine it being enough to actually see anything by. And yet she's going to spend the entire chapter seeing things by the light of Pan's (laughs) butt. So... Oh, until he gets a bit too tired later on. Yeah. It's completely dark and there's a heap of rags in one corner and Lyra sits down with Pan and for the first time in a really, really long time, she gets the alethiometer out and actually uses it. It's been ages. (laughs) I was thinking about how fucking long it had been since we'd seen the alethiometer properly. It's been so long. Like, I don't think she's used the alethiometer since Bolvanger? Like, before Bolvanger? Yeah, it would have been when she... Wouldn't it have been when she went to see the Witches Console? Yeah. Because she couldn't use it in Bolvanger, if you remember, because she was too cold on the way there. And then when she got there, she didn't dare use it. Yeah. But Bolvanger is like a whole section of the book. She's not used this really important thing for like a third of the book. It's kind of crazy, right? It is. But yeah, we've heard about it like every single chapter. That is true. We've heard about it, but she just hasn't used it, which is even more interesting. But she takes to it really quickly again, which she's really glad about because she was worried she'd forgotten how to use it. And what's quite nice is they kind of, Philip's just kind of going, okay, I've talked enough about how she uses it. I'm not going to talk anymore about symbols and that much. I'm just going to tell you the questions and the answers. So we know that she's framing the question in her head. We know she's picking symbols and turning dials, but it's framed as a conversation, which I really, really Mm -hmm. like. So she asks, where is Yorick? And the answer is he's a a day away and he's hurrying. Where is Roger? He's with Yorick. What will Yorick do? He intends to break into the palace and rescue you in face of all the difficulties, which is great. Like, I just love that it's just a little conversation that she has now. I like how they put the alethiometer's answers in quotation marks because it really shows that it's its own character. We could easily have done it without quotations and it just written out in a paragraph what she learned from it. Mm. But it's actually like Philip Plummer's chosen to, like you said, frame it as a conversation. I think that's really, really great. And it's also giving lots more additional information to perhaps the question she's giving which is another like layer that's being unfolded here because it's not always giving the answer that she expects which i really like yeah also she doesn't ask about lee she says like where's the auric and where's roger are they okay and like what about lee great <laughs> maybe she doesn't care as much about lee as lee cares about her at this point oh no she is anxious because she knows that Yorick won't be able to fight all the bears himself. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, she wishes she was a witch so that Pan could fly away and take messages and like let Yorick know that she was safe and alive and stuff. And then 
she has the fright of her life because that pile of rags in the corner that she just assumed was bedding is actually an old guy. <laughs> God, this might be me being really, really mean. Doesn't this guy annoy the fuck out of you? He really annoyed me. He's quite annoying. But then also, I think it's really interesting because I have a lot of feelings about how good Lyra is at talking to him and the clear layers of stuff that are just there going he's a madman he's a madman and all the stuff that that actually has to do with mental health and the way that Lyra is actually quite compassionate and tactful in the way that she talks to him because she could be a real dick to him right now because he's clearly actually quite a vulnerable person but I think that she's only being tactful with him because she wants information out of him I don't think that she's doing it to be kind to him I think she's like I know that I can probably get information from this guy so I'm going to talk to him in a way that keeps him calm and keeps him wanting to answer me. I don't think she's doing it from a, I need to be kind for his mental health. No, but she could also try to get information from him by being mean or harsh or something, and she isn't. Do you think that she would have been able to get the information that way, though? That's, I think the way that she did it was probably the only way that, like, to flatter him, because she talks about the Jordan scholars, doesn't she? And how she just kind of had to give him, like, a bland, like, admiring look, and they'd tell her things. And I think that she's using that a similar way to do this. Yeah, no, I get yeah, I get that that's why she's doing it is to get the information, but I also think I don't know, she could be she could be rude to him and she's not. She's quite good about a lot of it. And the way that he's described is actually quite sad at times and I do feel for him, despite the fact that he is quite an annoying character. I do also think that it's a really the portrayal of him as somebody with like mental health problems is something that kind of does need to be picked apart more and i do think that the way that lyra interacts with him is better than a lot of other characters might have interacted with him yeah i completely agree with you i just think that she's done it for the wrong reasons yeah because i don't think that she has thought to herself i need to be kind to this man because he's suffering with his mental health i think she's thought to herself i need information from this man so i'm gonna talk to him in a way that i know will give me answers yeah i, I just don't think that Lyra is as compassionate for this guy as maybe she would be for like Yorick and <clears throat> her own friends and stuff. We know that she's typically not a very compassionate character. I feel I feel like from it's only been the last few chapters where she's really stepped up that game and, and she's like been worrying about Yorick and worrying about Roger Mark. You remember those whole chapters where she just didn't think about Roger at all when he'd been captured? <laughs> but no, I, I think like obviously birth readings are really valid, but yeah, when I read it, I just thought yeah, she wants something here and she's she's doing what she needs to do to get the information. Yeah. One of my notes is literally Lyra's playing this guy really skillfully, but also in a surprisingly compassionate way. We've not even said anything about him yet. We've, we've not explained what's going on. We've just had a debate about this man. <laughs> she sees the rags in the corner and like you said, she has the fright of her life and it's a man. So, the little wavering point of light danced through the air and flitted around the head of the speaker and it hadn't been a heap of rags after all. It was a grey-bearded man, changed to the wall, whose eyes glittered in pantaloons luminance, and whose tattered hair hung over his shoulders. His demon, a weary-looking serpent, lay on his lap, flicking out her tongue occasionally as pantaloon flew near. Uh, this reminded me of Aladdin. Yes. When uh, Jafar, or is it is it Jafar? It's Jafar disguised as an old guy, right? Yeah, and he's chained to the wall, and he's really like spindly and a bit creepy also because when we watch the tv series that's 100 percent who the guy playing that exact same old man reminded sarah of when we were watching it yeah <laughs> we definitely spoke about <laughs> this in a tv episode <laughs> he says that he's the professor of cosmology at the university of gloucester she asks what he's been locked up for and he says for malice and jealousy that's where she's come from and she says jordan college 
And just what a small world it is that they happen to know each other or they know each other's colleges. Like she could be any old street urchin but or he could be any old random guy. But it just so happens that he's also a professor that knows a professor that went to her college. Yeah, definitely. And we learn as well that he's obsessed with a Palmyrian professor and calls him a plagiarist and asks Lyra if he's published papers and stuff. And you can see there's some kind of history there. And I think what you were getting at about his mental health this is the main point of it, right? He's ultimately obsessed with this guy. And obviously the fact that... I don't think we find find out how long he's been prisoner. We can kind of judge by his raggedy look and his tangled beard and all that kind of stuff that it's probably been a little while. So I think he's been there stewing on that, on like his hatred for this one person. And he's just completely become obsessed with it. Yeah, and he's also been locked in the pitch black and malnourished like i can't imagine what it would do to your mental health if you are locked up in such horrible conditions believing that you are innocent or probably being innocent we have no real idea as to why he was locked up and he kind of explains it but not very well because he's so obsessed with this guy that he blames for it yeah and i don't want to skip ahead too much again but in this chapter anyway we don't really get a resolution for him like lyra just kind of leaves him behind and I can't remember whether we ever go back to him or anything. So I suppose watch this space for the next chapters. But I thought it was quite interesting that they chose not to kind of give him a rounded off ending. It kind of leaves him being a bit of a like mystery character. Because I wasn't, when I read this chapter, I wasn't really sure what he was there for other than to give Lyra a bit of information. I think that's his main purpose. So Lyra, she says that she doesn't know if the Palmyrian professor has published that paper but then this is when she decides to start lying and at this point she's just doing it out of pure habit yeah she says that actually she remembered he hasn't published the paper yet and he's going to write about dust as well the guy then is like scoundrel thief blackguard rogue and I had to google blackguard because I was like that sounds like a word I know but it's not a word I know turns out it's very similar Slash the same thing. So blackguard is just the older way of saying blackguard. Oh. Like blackguard. And they both, they mean basically exactly the same thing, which is a scoundrel, unprincipled, contemptible. And basically blackguard is the way that we say it now because of how words change over time with slight mispronunciations or like dropping letters here and there. Mm -hmm. So it's gone from being the word blackguard, which meant exactly the same thing. And it doesn't necessarily come from anywhere specific. It was used in like the earliest record recorded uses in like 1535. But literally it just refers to somebody as like contemptuous with no like morals. Yeah, a blackguard, <laughs> as you would describe them. It's just interesting that the word like threw me off when I was reading it because I was like, oh, I've not seen that before. But I have. It's just usually the newer way of saying it. I just completely skip, skipped over it. It didn't even tickle my brain. I, I didn't know what it meant though, but I just I think I just skimmed over it. The old man, it, it's funny, isn't it? That we learn his name, but then he's just continuously referred to as the old man. I think Lyra just hasn't made a point of remembering it. <laughs> yeah. But he, we get a lot of descriptions of him as quite frail as well. Um, mm -hmm. So he shakes so violently that Lyra is afraid he's going to have a fit and his demon slithers lethargically. He beats his fists against his shanks and I find it odd they're being referred to as shanks as if his legs are like so skinny they're like pieces of meat that come down to the bone almost and like drops a saliva fly out of his mouth. He's got this quite a visceral description of somebody that is very frail but very 
impassioned about what they're talking about. It's, I imagine, quite scary for Lyra to be locked in a room with somebody that comes off as quite unpredictable as well. Yeah. But she's doing a very good job of like dealing with him and talking to him in a way that is calming, which is maybe what I'm finding compassionate about the way that she's talking to him because she could just be like, get away from me, you scary old man. But she's Mm. obviously, yeah, she's trying to get this information, but she's dealing with it quite well. She thinks about how if it's unlikely for the scruffy little girl who turned up in his cell to know the very man who is the person of his obsession, he didn't really notice. And she thinks about how he was, he is mad and no wonder the poor old man. But Lyra realises that she can get information from him that she can use. So she kind of sits carefully near him, but not close enough that he could grab her. Gets Pan to like fly close enough to like light his face enough that she can see what he's talking about and stuff. And then she starts to just chat rubbish about this Professor Trelawney, who is the guy Proper that he's chatting obsessed shit with. about yeah. him. <laughs> I love how quick she is to just like slander this person that she barely knows. <laughs> chatting absolute shit. Lyra but in just the right way which I love as well like yeah she says that he used to like burst about knowing the most about bears and like that kind of stuff yeah like the old man's kind of like I suppose kind of feeding off it a bit she's giving him what he wants to hear basically it is interesting that going back to what you said earlier he's so lost in his own obsession that yeah he doesn't see that actually it's a bit fucking weird that this girl shows up and knows this person the weirdest thing is that she actually does. She's not even just pretending to. Yeah, know. yeah. She's pretending yeah. to know him better than she does, but she does know him. Like she grew up yeah. in the same building as this guy. Like teaches, so yeah. It's like it is a thing. Like it's not a lie. But yeah. It, 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 like it is weird, and like it's one of those things. You remember in the like last chapter we were saying about when she fell out of the balloon and didn't impale herself on a rock, and how lucky that was, and how it was probably a fate. Yeah. Serafina was mentioning a lot about the fates and stuff. So maybe this is something similar. So Lyra's trying to get more information from him about the bears. She asks if he'll be her teacher. And even in the depth of his madness, his common sense flickers and he looks at her as if she, he's suspecting her of being sarcastic at him. And she yeah. has she's so used to like interacting with the Jordan scholars that she knows how to get past that reaction. And that it's to just look yeah. blank and innocent and like, please teach me. <laughs> I'm in <laughs> awe of your massive brain. <laughs> Then he says the bit that annoyed you, which I just completely glossed over. So it didn't annoy me at all because I didn't read it. (laughs) He says, yes, I could teach. Give me the right people and I will light a fire in his mind. Yeah, I just hate it when people use gendered language when they're referring to everyone. I mean, I don't think that the old man would only teach men or boys. I think that he would teach everyone. But the fact that he uses the word he annoys me. That's always something that's griped on me though, ever since I was a kid. I pick up on it all the time and it's always just something that's like niggled in my brain and I'm like, what about me? Because I'm not a he and neither is fucking shitloads of people. So why would you just say he? It's true. It's one of those things where like, it's like a weird, unnecessary standardization of a lot of English as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's the default grammar, but it shouldn't be... And yeah, it absolutely shouldn't be. And that's why you see it so many times and why it annoys me. Yeah, I didn't, I because I just kind of read it as like neutral, but that's a bit bad on my part, really, for just reading it as neutral because... But then it's one of those things if, if because like you said, it is used so, maybe not as frequently anymore, but in the past it has been used so frequently as, so the word he or his or whatever to encompass all genders that it is really easy to just miss it. 
if you're if you're not specifically looking for it like I find myself doing all the time but it's so easy to miss that that type of stuff that's just kind of ingrained into your brain from living in a patriarchal society because that's what a patriarchal society does to you. Lyra basically convinces him to teach her about bears by saying that all the other stuff is far too complicated for her but if we start on bears we can work our way up to the stuff that you're actually interested in teaching me about which I love. I love that she's like, how can I make an excuse about why it should be bears that you teach me about? He waffles on about some some stuff. Uh, he starts talking about how, this is the bit where it sounds a bit witchy, but it ends very patriarchal. Okay. <laughs> yes, he says, I believe you're right. There is a correspondence between the microcosm and the macrocosm. The stars are alive, child. Did you know that? Everything out there is alive and there are grand purposes abroad. The universe is full of intentions, you know. Everything happens for a purpose. Your purpose is to remind me of that. Good, good. In my despair, I had forgotten. Excellent, my child. So I love that he's like, he's twigged on. There's a plan. There's a grand plan. He's just like the witches. He's like destiny, purpose, everything is here. And then he's like, but... Obviously, it's all about me. Yeah, right. It's so funny <laughs> because, like, we spent last chapter learning that literally the universe, the entire universe, and all the worlds will end if Lyra doesn't do, or, like, doesn't follow this prophecy and do what's being asked of her. And then this man is like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's about me, though." <laughs> I love that they like it's the perfect, it's a lovely juxtaposition from the last chapter to this chapter of somebody that's kind of twigged on to like the structure of the world and like fate and destiny and everything and then just completely misses the point just yeah, completely like the point is here and he's like but i'm over here <laughs> it's all about me <laughs> so lyra asks him if he's seen the king yofa ragnison he says oh yes i came here at his invitation you know he intended to set up a university he was going to make me vice chancellor that would be one in the eye for the royal arctic society and that scoundrel Trelawney, huh? She asks what happened, and he says, I was betrayed by lesser men, Trelawney among them, of course. He was here, you know, on Svalbard. So I was going to read that whole speech, but it is just a bit, like, shouty. So he basically says in this that Trelawney lied about him because it was the old man that discovered the final proof of the Barnard-Stokes hypothesis, which we've heard of before. Mm-hmm. Trelawney couldn't take that, so he lied to Yerfa, and then Yerfa had the old man thrown in the prison where he is now. We basically get to learn all about this man's beef, even though we may never see him again. <laughs> but it's a good way of Lyra's just like, I'll, I'll just let you ramble on about your thing until we get to my thing. Like She's being relatively patient with him, which is good, because she could be pushing him for other stuff, and she's not. She's like, I expect Yorick will believe you when he comes back. And the guy's like, he's never coming back and the reason he would never come back is because they will totally kill him and Lyra's like oh well he's he's on his way and they're like nope Yorick is dead before he even reaches the door because he's an outcast the bears don't even see him as a bear anymore (laughs) what's interesting is he says they wouldn't even see him as like high as like a seal or a walrus they'd see him as being a tartar or a scraling which is implying the bears see people as less than like the walruses and the seals because i guess the bears care more about the lives of the walruses and the seals because they they gotta eat them yeah they're useful (laughs) whereas like humans are probably much less useful to the bears and more of a source of conflict (laughs) lyra then asks about she wants to know what would happen if Yorick came back and challenged Yerfa to a fight. The professor 
or the old man says, oh, they wouldn't allow it. Yerfa would never lower himself to acknowledge Yorick Bernison's right to fight him. They're basically saying that there's no way that they're ever going to get Yorick and Yerfa to have a fight. They're basically just going to gun Yorick down as soon as he gets even within any kind of distance of the castle. She asks about if they have other prisoners and where they keep them. And the guy's like, what do you mean other prisoners? And she's like, oh, Lord Asriel. And he is freaked out by the mere mention of Asriel's name because it's forbidden and very dangerous and Yoffa Ratnison will not allow him to be mentioned. But then it's fine because Lyra asks another question so he explains everything. (laughs) (laughs) And we learn that Lord Asriel is a prisoner by special charge laid on Yoffa by the Ablation Board and Mrs. Coulter herself came to see Yoffa and offered him all kinds of rewards to keep Lord Asriel out of the way. The reason that the professor knows this is because he wasn't in prison at that point in time. He was a special guest of Bear B&B and allowed to like <laughs> not be in the cell. <laughs> and he met Mrs. Coulter. I'm sure Lyra through this whole thing is just like, it always comes back to mum and dad. <laughs> like, fuck's sake, can I not get away? <laughs> yeah. But he knows that Yoffa was like, Ub obsessed with Coulter and couldn't stop talking about her and would do anything for her uh, if she wants Asriel kept hundreds of miles away that will happen anything for Mrs Coulter anything he's going to name his capital city after oh her did God. you know that Fucking take hell. me to Coulter city <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't we all love to go there wouldn't we all love to have a giant bear name their capital city after us Absolutely. that's like life goals life goals right <laughs> Definitely. So great. And yeah, sign me up for that trip to, to Call of City when uh, lockdown's over. Yeah. <laughs> he then goes on to say that the bears are giving Asriel everything that he wants as well. So like he's still doing... We learned this a couple of chapters ago, I think. He's still doing his experiments. They've got him like set up in a pretty cushy place. The old man goes on to say that they can't keep this equilibrium up. The bears can't carry on pleasing both Mrs. Coulter and Lord Asriel because it's all going to come crashing down at some point because obviously we know that they're on opposing sides. Then he makes this odd little endearing comment where he says that the wave function of this situation is going to collapse quite soon. I have it on good authority. And Lyra kind of isn't really thinking about any like what he's actually saying. She's like, oh yeah, really? And he's like, yes. My demon's tongue can taste probability, you know. And Lyra's like, yeah, yeah, mine too. Uh, When do they feed us? (laughs) So I love that this is a really endearing little comment that kind of is another thing that's like indicates that he is a little bit unstable. That his mental health is not in a good, good place, but Lyra's too distracted to actually listen to it. So she's just like, yeah, yeah, mine too. So it makes this moment quite endearing and humorous where actually it's just like it's just it's a really odd little moment it is super odd and i liked it as well and i made a note as well about lyra just being like yeah yeah whatever mine as well <laughs> mine too yeah yeah Jump she's just this. not listening she's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, me too me too when do they yeah. feed us just <laughs> <laughs> exactly what my question would be as well <laughs> oh same i wonder if she kind of knows then though that like maybe the conversation's pretty much over like she's kind of got the information that she needs from him right apart from when they feed them <laughs> Yeah. And she's just a bit like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and he goes and, like, goes back to the wall where he was before and, like, curls up and, and just carries on muttering at the wall, which is sad. And then he falls asleep and Ly- and Lyra's basically kind of on her own again with Pan, who has become a bat because he got bored of being a lamp. 
basically. Oh. <laughs> he got his little book got tired. He got, yeah. he got his little book got tired from he got out bored of all the lamp life, so he became a bat. <laughs> and Lyra was like, "Oh, it's all very well and good for you, Pan. You can see, but I can't." I did think. Uh, does it? Does this mean then that different demon forms use different amounts of energy? So I think he just got bored. Do you think? I can't, yeah. What, what is the description that it says? No, I can't remember. He's uh, tired of putting tired. out light. Yeah. See, I, I kind of read that. No, I see how you read it. I kind of read it in a different way of, of being that it, he was actually physically tired from doing it, if that makes sense. Not um, that he was just bored of it. But you can read it in either way. Um, yeah, I totally think I, he's just bored of He's like, <laughs> fuck you, I'm not a lamp. I'm going to be whatever I want to be. <laughs> uh, so then it finally comes back to Lyra, what she heard in the retiring room about Yoffa, which we was, we've spoken about for many chapters now. He basically wants to be human yeah he wants a demon as she thinks about this a plan comes to her i like the way that they describe this plan so it says the idea hovered and shimmered delicately like a soap bubble and she dared not even look at it directly in case it burst but she was familiar with the way of ideas and she let it shimmer looking away thinking about something else i really like that description because it reminds me of when you wake up and you've had a dream and your dream like kind of trickles out of your brain you know when you're trying to remember it and Mm -hmm. it just it gets away from you if you look at it directly it just fucks off it kind of reminds me of water like trickling I I don't think I've ever had it with an idea but it did remind me of how dreams can slip away from you super easily if you give them too much attention yeah definitely the more you try to remember them the more you're not remembering the dream and you're remembering how you told the story of it yeah exactly she's nearly asleep when the doors open and the bear is about to throw in some food and she runs to him and tells him that he needs to take her to see Yuffa. She says that it's about Yorick and he says that he will pass along the message and she says it wouldn't be right for someone else to know before the king. And she's so clever, right? I would never have thought of that. I'll pass along the message. I would have been like, okay, shit. And she's like, no, you can't hear it before the king. She's very quick on her feet to get this explanation straight off the bat. She has remembered that he he wants to be human and that he wants a demon and then she's kind of like taken note of I think of a lot of the stuff around around the palace as as she's been taken through and seems to just be really good at like pushing all of the like uncertainty buttons on these bears because the bear is just kind of like doesn't really know what to do with it (laughs) or what to do with her he just lets her out and he's like okay yeah she's like that's just the rules you have to tell the king things first done sorted yeah okay fine i guess he's kind of just like this sounds like it's above my pay grade yeah yeah. i'm gonna take it to my line manager and then the next guy's like this sounds like it's above my pay grade i'm gonna take it to my line manager you end up at your for anyway so yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah so they do that a couple of times right they go up through the ranks she just keeps telling the other bears that they meet along the way the same thing and just saying to them look I can't tell you before I, t- uh, I tell you for. She says, um, I can't tell it to anyone else, don't you see? It wouldn't be polite. He'd be ever so cross if he knew we hadn't been polite. And that seemed to carry some weight or else mystify the bear sufficiently to make him pause. Lyra was sure her interpretation of things was right. Yoffa Ragnarsson was introducing so many new ways that none of the bears were certain yet how to behave and she could exploit this uncertainty in order to get to Yoffa. Which I like that it's just like, and you'll see this as we go through and you get to the like fancier levels of corridor and stuff where the walls are like gilded and plastered, but it's all peeling off and crumbling and the carpets, beautiful carpets are trodden with dirt. And it's like Yoffa's adding and changing and doing all these things that the bears just don't 
know how to react to. Yeah. And I think as well, because the notion of being polite is a very human trait. And from the bears that we've we've met so far, it's not very bear-like. It's very human-like to be polite. So I think that's probably why it struck a chord. And then like you were saying, they're so confused. They're just like, well, that sounds like it's a human thing. So may- like maybe we should take her to Yoffa. We know that like bear etiquette is kind of a thing because we know that Yorick broke it when he killed a bear that wasn't backing down and that the bear that wasn't backing down was also not following the like bare levels of etiquette and tradition and custom but these like human etiquettes and customs that are being brought in are just so alien to them that they're a bit like "Mm." but they also must be like well we know that he is trying to be more human and a human is saying this stuff so it must be what Yoffa wants yeah definitely so Lyra is taken inside the palace and into the state quarters and she's made to wait in like a bunch of different rooms as we just mentioned as like the bears go off and discuss with all the different bears about what they should do they smell worse because there's also perfume as well as stanky stanky smells I (laughs) i think that's what grossed me out the most i hate it when people try and disguise like really horrendous smells with some kind of horrible like air freshener or like perfume i'd just rather smell the shit smell because it just makes it so much worse to try and like disguise it with some kind of like horribly sweet perfume or air freshener. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, spraying Febreze over cigarette smoke, and it's like it's never gonna, it's never gonna not smell. <laughs> you went to a nicer place than me because I was just thinking about spraying some air freshener over a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, same same diff, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, poopery, sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we kind of mentioned how human-like it is, the decorations, and she looks around at how hideous it is, like the disgusting carpet and the chandelier and stuff. And then the door opens and there's just loads of bears staring at her. And they're all wearing the same kind of jewellery. A blaze of light from half a dozen chandeliers, a crimson carpet, and more of that thick perfume hanging in the air, and the faces of a dozen or more bears all gazing at her. None in armour, but each with some kind of decoration. A golden necklace, a headdress of purple feathers, a crimson sash... Curiously, the room was also occupied by birds. Turns and skewers, perched on the plaster cornice, swooped low to snatch bits of fish that had fallen out of one another's nests in the chandeliers. It's just bears and birds. <laughs> bears and birds. Bears and Everywhere. birds. Everywhere. <laughs> it then goes on to like talk about how there's all these like elaborate decorations and stuff. And the description at the end is great. It was decorated with over-elaborate swags and festoons of guilt that looked like tinsel on a mountainside. (laughs) And I just love, it's like when you put like one piece of tinsel in your house and it just looks really sad. That's how I'm imagining it. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Just like a single piece of tinsel like strewn somewhere, like stick it on a bush. It just looks really sad. (laughs) Yeah, and then we get a description of Yoffa. So, sitting on the throne was the biggest bear she had ever seen. Yoffa Ragnarsson was even taller and bulkier than Yorick, and his face was much more mobile and expressive, with a kind of humanness in it which she had never seen in Yorick's. When Yoffa looked at her, she seemed to see a man looking out of his eyes, the sort of man she had met at Mrs. Coulter's, a subtle politician used to power. He was wearing a heavy gold chain around his neck, with a gaudy jewellery hanging from it, and his claws, a good six inches long, were each covered in gold leaf. The effect was one of enormous strength and energy and craft. He was quite big enough to carry the absurd over-decoration on him. It didn't look preposterous. It looked barbaric and magnificent. I love barbaric and magnificent as a descriptor. Right? 
And I also love that he's got gold nails. Right? I was just like, how fucking fabulous So glam. <laughs> I fucking love that shit. I'm like, yes. He sounds like an absolute queen. I love it. Yeah, yeah he does. <laughs> but yeah, I love this description, especially as she's saying she recognises the like look in his eyes as something she's seen in the men at Coulter's house. Yeah. Is really interesting. Like, she, you know, he's going to be like a sly son of a bitch basically <laughs> yeah definitely definitely the horrible air of like a politician right smarmy like, mm. you get the impression he's gonna be smarmy yeah Ew. no thank you mm-hmm. so she's a bit worried she sees how impressive he is and then she looks and sees he's got something on his knee and it's a little it's like a i say a little stuffed doll it's little to him it's probably big to lyra a mannequin kind of doll with a vacant human face It was dressed as Mrs. Coulter would dress. Oh my God. And it had a sort of rough resemblance to her. So I'm imagining these armoured bears that are used to making armour. And we know Yorick can make like quite delicate things, but also they're used to doing like big hulking things of armour and like being bears and living on the snow. And at some point, some bear has just been told, will you make me a doll that looks a bit like (laughs) that pretty lady that comes to visit, please? (laughs) I, it's like borderline creepy. Like it's so it's, creepy. Yeah, right. It's just it like weirds me out massively. I don't. I think I would have been okay with it because we know that he wants a demon. But the fact that it's dressed like Mrs. Coulter would dress, I'm just a bit like, oh. oh no. The fact that we know he's obsessed with her because he wants to name yeah. the capital city after her. Like, it's kind of it's that thing where like it's borderline creepy, but also it just shows that he is 100 percent under her spell. Yeah. He is being manipulated. It's almost, it's not like pathetic's not the word, but it's like that level of like, oh, he's got a doll of her. Like he is well and truly completely fucked. Like he's too obsessed. <laughs> it's just like a bit like slimy, creepy. I can't think of the right word, but I know what you mean. It's just too much i almost feel bad for him because she's just got him completely under her spell as well with the moment lyra sees this she knows she's safe she knows that her plan is going to work this whole time pan is hiding in her pocket being as still as he possibly can she comes in and she's just like right acting game on i'm gonna act my pants off and she's like ah greetings to you great king or i mean my greetings not his (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so dramatic just so that he'll be like his who's yeah yeah so good it's such like a drama kid entrance <laughs> yeah obviously she's like hinting that she's talking about yorick and he's like what yorick she's got something really secret to tell him and that all the other bears about yorick and all the other bears need to leave the room so that she can tell yoffa by herself she says it's something about demons also, just a bit before that, when he says when he speaks, he has to brush away the flies buzzing at his face. Oh, so grim. But I love it. So grim. He makes all the other bears get out, basically. As soon as she mentioned demons, he's like, everybody fuck off so that I can talk to this girl about demons. So she tells him that she is a demon, that she's Yorick's demon. And it says it was the most dangerous thing she'd ever said. Uh, she could see quite clearly that only his astonishment prevented him from killing her on the spot. She goes on t- to say that She's just like buttering him up again, right? Like she mm-hmm. was doing, well, it's much more full on than what she was doing with the old man in the cell. But it's a similar premise, I suppose, of what she's doing. Yeah. He just poses significantly more of a threat. 
Yeah, exactly. She says that Yorick's the first bear to get a demon, but it should have been you. I would much rather be your demon than his, and that's why I came. I'm just imagining her saying this in, like, the most sickly voice and, like, putting on so much, like... I can imagine her adopting culturisms as she's saying it as well. Just saying all the right things to all the right people. He says, how has a bear got a demon? And how are you so far from him? And she says, that's easy. (laughs) Yeah. That's not how you start a lie, Lyra. (laughs) Oh, that's um, an easy one. Why are you driving so fast? Oh, officer, that's easy. I was driving fast because, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, you don't just lie. Someone asks you a question, your response while lying isn't, oh, well, that's an easy one. That's not how people answer questions. You just answer the question. You don't tell someone how easy it is. I didn't even think of it like that. That's so true, though. You wouldn't just be like, like, yeah, that's easy. I can tell you. Just say it. Don't say that's easy. That just makes it look like you're lying. (laughs) Yeah, so she says that she can go far from him because she's like a witch's demon. She then basically says that in Bolvanga, they're also making artificial demons as well as cutting children from their demons. I love that she's just made that link and been like, "It's, it's believable. They do some weird shit there. Yeah, and then she says that Yorick offered himself up as an experiment. Just like when people have demons, they're animal formed, so when a bear has a demon, it'll be human. And she says that she can see into Yorick's mind and knows exactly what he's doing and where he is. She tells him that he's coming to Svalbard. Basically, the gist here is that she's trying to get the bears to not kill Yorick as soon as he sets foot on Svalbard. Yeah, she's kind of a little bit dig, dig, dig in a hole because she's basically, at this point just egg by egg filling up her basket until all of her eggs are in this Yorick shaped basket and then she just keeps looking at Yoffa and thinking he's a lot bigger than Yorick isn't he I'll just keep piling (laughs) eggs into the Yorick basket anyway (laughs) totally so she can't really see another way out other than to get Yorick in some way uh, without being yeah she has such lovely like blind faith in him yeah it's quite sweet but also not perhaps wise <laughs> yeah no absolutely not basically how this kind of ends is that she tells Yoffa that she'd rather be his demon but the only way that she can be his demon if, is if he fights Yorick to the death and wins and then that would transfer her demonness over to him okay so this got me to a thing this is like Lyra's logic of like how one could transfer a demon imagine if this was actually true in Lyra's world it would turn into serial killer Pokemon collecting. <laughs> would people not just go around killing people with cool demons to absorb their demons and then have like 20 demons and then it would be like Pokemon. But also in order to have all the Pokemon, you would have to be a serial killer. <laughs> just saying, Amazing. alternate universe, serial killer Pokemon is a thing. <laughs> Great. Fucking patent that shit, Rich. Somebody's going to take it from you. <laughs> It'd be like a weird Hunger Games, Battle Royale, Pokemon, everything situation. (laughs) Yoffa asks her to prove that she is a demon. And she says that she can tell him anything about himself that nobody else knows but him. (laughs) It's a bit of a stretch that that's the logic. Surely she would be able to tell him anything he wants to know about Yorick and not himself. Can she just tell you anything about anyone ever then by that logic? It's like, oh, I can prove I'm a demon. 
ask me to guess how many fingers you've got behind your back. And it's like, that's not a demon <laughs> skill. That's a magician skill. So she goes off to ask the alethiometer these questions. And the first one is uh, what we spoke about earlier. So he wants to know who the first bear that he killed was. What was the first creature he ever killed, actually, yes. I think. And it's his dad. There's a bit here that's quite clever because she asks the alethiometer who it was. And it says he killed his own father and then she asks it to go into it or I can't remember how she phrases it but she kind of asks it another question to it, for it to go into a little bit more detail and I was like that's why Lyra's cleverer than me because if that was me I would have just got the answer that it's his dad and then fucked off back to him and wouldn't been able to give him like any follow-up information yeah like if he'd probed about it I would have been like oh but Lyra was clever enough to be like, okay, I need a bit of background information just in case he asks me a bit more. Yeah. And just be like, your dad, boom, aced it. Next. No, no. Any more questions? <laughs> I can only give you one word answers. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is 20 questions. Yeah. <laughs> Pan also says that the best way to get to him is to flatter him. Like that's all he seems to want is flattery. So she goes out and proper like, simperingly like touches her head to his paw it re- it kind of makes me feel a little bit queasy just because like she's so good at being this person but i hate this person so she's like the first creature you killed was your own father i think you're a new god joffa ragnarsson that's what you must be only a god would have the strength to do that and it's like i know pan said to butter him up but that is buttery that is greasy (laughs) how buttery that is (laughs) yeah truly there's another question then he wants to know what mrs coulter promised him when she was there we learn that she promised you that she'd get the magisterium in geneva to agree that you could be baptized as a christian even though you hadn't got a demon then well i'm afraid that she hasn't done that you're for rightnessen and quite honestly i don't think they'd ever agree to that if you didn't have a demon i think she knew that and she wasn't telling you the truth but in any case, when you've got me as your demon, you could be baptised if you wanted to, because no one could argue then. You could demand it, and they wouldn't be able to turn you down. And I just fucking love that she just full-on dropped Mrs. Coulter right in the shit there. She's like, yep. she fucking lied to you, mate. <laughs> you have been manipulated. Don't let it happen again, unless it's by <laughs> me. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, exactly. It's also really interesting that he desperately wants to be baptised, but I guess that's more proof to the the idea that he wants to be recognised in human circles as powerful and he recognises that the main source of power within the human power structure appears to be the magisterium, which is a religious structure. So he's like, I don't think I can gain authority or power within that world if I am not baptised, therefore I need it. That's true. He's a clever bear. Mm -hmm. But I also think there is something quite emotional for him tied to all of it as well because otherwise he wouldn't necessarily fall for these things. So she tells him that Yorick is four hours away and that he should tell his guard bears not to attack him when he gets there. So basically this is Lyra now. Like, Yorfa basically now completely completely trusts her. He's like, what should I do? Tell me what to do, blah, blah, blah. She's full-on culted him because he... It's like he can't think for himself anymore. Like, we know he's quite a clever and manipulative bear, but he is... Just will do anything she says at this point. I get the impression from the fact that she's so talky and he's got such few words in his answers. 
he's just overwhelmed. Bless him. He's so overwhelmed. Right? But also, like, wouldn't you be overwhelmed? Like, this kid has just come into your palace out of nowhere. He was probably just chilling on his throne before, just kicking back. And then suddenly she's like, bitch, I'm a demon and I can be your demon. And she's, like, offering him everything that he's ever wanted in the world. And he's But just first, like, you must fuck? defeat your greatest enemy and make an excuse yeah. as to why he's allowed back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It must be very confusing for him. She says that Yorick still is four hours away and she says that she'll still have to pretend to be his demon when he gets there to avoid suspicion. She asks if he's going to tell the other bears about her being his demon and they. this is when he kind of just defers completely to her he's and just he's like, just like, what do you think? Know. What do yeah. you think I should do? And they go back and forth on this for a little bit and he keeps asking for advice. There was a bit earlier where Lyra asked Pan what she should do and that's when Pan said that she should flatter Yoffa. And that kind of is a bit reminiscent of this bit here. Like he keeps asking her what to do because he sees her now as being a demon. That's true. Yeah. I think that's probably why they put that bit in with Pan just to like put a parallel between them. That's really nice. I hadn't really picked that up, but that's lovely. The the quote here that I highlighted because I really love it and it feels very culture to me is the great bear was helpless. Lyra found her power over him almost intoxicating. If Pantalaemon hadn't nipped her hand sharply to remind her of the danger they were all in, she might have lost all her sense of proportion. And I love it. I love that 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 100% is her mum and her dad. Definitely. And it shows how easily she can kind of tip over into that as well. The power is intoxicating. Power. Yeah. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And that like Pan's the one that brings her back to Earth, I suppose. So she kind of steps back and like watches as they're getting everything ready for Yorick to arrive. And then she just really wishes that she could tell Yorick that he was about to have the fight of his life. But there's no way for him to know. She keeps feeling like earlier in the chat, she's feeling really bad that he's been like literally running for hours and he's going to arrive and she's going to be like, now get in a fight. <laughs> yeah, I know. And also there's a bit as well, isn't it, where she asks the alethiometer how far away he is and how is he going to know about the plan when he gets there? The alethiometer just tells her that she has to trust him. And that's so not helpful, alethiometer. No, that, that is not an answer to the question. That was the, one of the things <laughs> that I liked though, is like, it's just being evasive now. Like, that's yeah. a personality right there in the alethiometer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then that's the end of the chapter. Yorick running towards his potential fight to the death. Yeah. And it is a great chapter. Again, it's quite dialogue heavy. We learned so much information and watched Lyra. She basically scammed two people and it can become quite a lot. But I did think it was a good chapter. I liked that we met Yoffa finally after hearing so much about him. Yes, I really liked that. And I really loved a lot of the descriptions of the bear's palace. And I love that it's just like, we've been dropped into just a completely different world as well. Like once again, like this is, it's almost easy, despite the fact that there's talking animals, it's almost easy to forget that these books are fantasy books in a lot of Mm. ways because there's such strong character interaction and stuff. So it's when you get dropped into a palace full of bears, you kind of remember that you're reading a fantasy novel. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, And I really love that. And I, yeah, I really love the bears as characters. I'm excited for hopefully another chapter of bears. Yeah. What's the next chapter called, Rich? It's called At Outrance. Is that, I was thinking, is that how, how is that pronounced? I don't know. Is I don't know how it's pronounced. I'm going to have to learn before I say it on the next episode. <laughs> Do you have an award to give out, Rich? My award this week 
It's for Pan with his lovely big shiny butt and Aww. being such a good little tiny, like the smallest mouse he'd ever been to be Aww. in her pocket. And I just love the idea of him as like the tiniest little field mouse just like curled up in the palm of her hand, being as still yeah. as he can, but still like providing comfort by her being able to hold him in her hand. He was a very good demon this chapter. Well he done, was. Pan. Who is your award for? So interestingly, mine's for Lyra. Oh, Yeah, just because I just really liked how amazing her brain was this chapter and is she is so clever and i'm just constantly in awe of how clever she is especially for a young teenager as well the dynamic duo she's so fast on her feet she's so fast thinking and this is like a really strong lyra lying chapter yeah like she lies her little socks right off it's great and this is also the lyra that we know and love she's fully in her stride at this point yes lyra Yes, Lyra. Yes, Pan. Yes. Dynamic duo. Awards for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. We bloody love an email. We bloody love. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Fayley, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E-Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, I'm on medium at faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art, and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at rachemakes, on Twitter at rach underscore makes, and over on my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. A huge thank you to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. We'll see you in a week's time, and don't forget, keep telling stories! And all will be well. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Bye 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 bye. Give the baby and be a good rating. <laughs> <laughs>